Welcome to Self-Care with Dr. Sarah. It's Sarah B. here, and we are privileged this episode to be interviewing Nicole Cabrera. Uh, so, Nicole, why don't you do a brief uh, intro about yourself? Where are you right now? So, I am a PhD student. I'm a year away from defending. Mm -hmm. I'm at Georgia State University in Atlanta. Um and I am not originally from here, but I've been here for about eight years because I did part of my undergrad here as well. Mm -hmm. Where did you do your undergrad? So I started out uh, at a community college in Miami where I grew up, uh, Miami-Dade College. And then, so I did two years there and then I transferred to Georgia Tech um, to do my physics bachelor's. And then I graduated and then I came here. Cool. Um, so I got super excited to have Nicole on the on the podcast, and she was nice enough to agree to come on and chat with us because we were having a conversation about self-care online, and she articulated some ideas that right away I identified with and thought were really thoughtful and interesting. Um, <laughs> so maybe we could start, uh, Nicole, by talking about how you first came upon self-care as an idea. What did you first start doing when you entered grad school? Wow, that is um, an interesting question. I don't think that self-care has really been a part of my life until very recently, like at, at least not in that idea, like that consciousness of it. Mm -hmm. um, I started going to therapy here at my university when uh, I think it was in my second year. Yeah, it was right. It was right like six months before my qualifier exam mm. and I was feeling really stressed and there were a lot of like personal things going on. And so I, um, I went to our counseling center um, and I, and that's sort of really when my self-care began because before that I feel like I was just, it was just me. Yeah. And then I learned a lot about like, oh, there are reasons why I feel this way. And like, these are ways and strategies to counteract that thinking and that behavior. So that's really when it started, but it really hasn't, um, it hasn't been until, it wasn't until um, earlier this year when I joined the equity group on Facebook. That must have been in April. Mm -hmm. So like not that long ago when I really started uh, reading about self-care and like what it is and why it's important. Yeah. Um, Nicole is referring to um, a Facebook group for astronomers that's kind of started within our community, which is called Equity Inclusion in Astronomy. Um, and I'm also a member of that group and also love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, did you find that, uh, I guess I'm just curious, did you find you identified with the first therapist that you saw or did you have to do a little searching? Actually, that's a really good question because the first therapist that I saw, um, she was like, okay, I didn't like, you know, I could talk to her, but it was like, I was like, it was kind of a meh situation. And then, um, my university let go of all of their permanent staff, their permanent counseling staff, um, because of money, like they didn't want to yeah, pay yeah. for benefits and stuff. And so all these people came in. Um, so my therapist was like, let go mm -hmm. of a couple of weeks after I'd started seeing her. And then, um, they called me and they said, we have to pair you with somebody else. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to tell yeah, like, all yeah. of this history again. again. Cause at first, at first you just have to tell them like your entire background and that takes weeks. And so I was like, I'm going to have to do this again. We're big fans of therapy here at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, yeah, I had to like, um, I had to do that. And, but this new person actually, I really clicked with. And so I was like, okay, this, I really can get behind. Cause but the first one I was like, okay, maybe this is, this will work for me. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But now I really like, it's been, I think three years now that I've been with the same therapist and it's really amazing. It's like having a friend 
who cares about you, but can give you like professional advice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the, it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's, um, a really, I don't know how to describe like the, the therapist gaze, like no one else in my life is looking at me through that lens. I feel like it is, <laughs> it is a combination of, of care and even, even love, I suppose, in a way, it seems like it feels like a very loving gaze, but also a person yeah. who is thinking very mindfully about the arc of your life um, yeah. and maybe where you're going and what your goals are. And they also are equipped to identify the things that maybe you haven't put words to. Um, yeah. I've just, it's uh, invaluable to me also to have had the therapy. <laughs> Experience. I mean, you described it in such an eloquent way. <laughs> You're <laughs> making me look bad over here. <laughs> I've been thinking about therapy a lot. Also, I've been, um, gosh, I think I started therapy my first year of grad school too. Uh, and of course that was, uh, you know, in a crisis moment is when I went. Sarah R and I talked about it a tiny bit on another episode. Um, whereas mm -hmm. her approach was for me to pastor her <laughs> to go. Uh, and then eventually, um, Eventually she did. Anyway, um, so I'm really happy to hear that that was kind of your entree into self-care. Um, there was something recently, right, that made you think about self-care more. What was that? So um, I think y'all mentioned uh, in one of your other episodes about the Inclusive Astronomy Conference. Mm -hmm. um, and I was there too. Uh, and just being there, um, so it was, I guess if I need to describe it. It's a conference uh, for astronomers who are looking to make astronomy more equitable and more inclusive of marginalized groups. Um, and that means women, because in astronomy, they're very underrepresented, but also people of color, people with disabilities, um, and people who have, who are sex or gender minorities. So, uh, I went to this conference, um, and, you know, I've been in grad school now for five years and, um, I have had a lot of negative experiences, but I always attributed that to being to my gender, basically, because um, I am, even though I'm Hispanic, um, I have something called passing privilege. So because I don't have an accent when I speak English and because I've lived in Georgia and experienced eight winters now, <laughs> my skin is not as tan as when I was living in Miami. So I, you know, in Miami, I was Brown, like all year round and it was great and then just moving here and not having that um I am a lot whiter now mm -hmm. like my family makes fun of me when I go <laughs> home every break <laughs> and um so that passing privilege means that when I'm meeting someone um like a, a white person um sometimes they will recognize actually they will alright always recognize that I'm different but sometimes they will sort of uh accept that maybe I'm like ambiguously Italian looking or something. So like I sort of negotiate that whiteness yeah. or they will like be like, no, you're not from here. Where are you really from? That sort of thing. And so, um, I just always, um, imagine that because I don't have an accent and stuff, people sort of forget that I'm Hispanic. Um, and even though I'm like talking with my hands a lot, right? <laughs> um, so kind of because of, yeah, it's so it's kind of invisible. And so I've never really owned my ethnicity or my race. Um, as like a factor to why I've had these negative experiences. I've always really attributed them to my gender. And I read, I have read so much about women in science. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I see myself there. And I didn't really see myself in these descriptions of like racial interactions. Yeah. But what I realized at this conference, um, and it was really hard, it was so hard um, 
when somebody like puts a mirror in front of your face and they're sort of like showing you like mm. yourself, um, it was really hard for me to realize that actually a lot of these interactions, if I looked around at my female colleagues who are mostly white and a hundred percent white, except for one other student now, um, that they have not had the same kind of experiences that I have. And I have to acknowledge, I have to admit to myself that some of these things are, are racially based. And, and I'm not saying in a way that like, oh, you're Hispanic. So like, you know, I'm going to make jokes about Mexicans or I'm going to, you know, anything overt like that. It really, what I, what I realized just being at inclusive astronomy was that I came to a lot of situations where I was not armed with this privilege. So, you know, and the other person on the other side did have that privilege and it's kind of like a weapon and you're, um, yeah. and you, you know, you have these difficult situations and I would always come away losing because I didn't have that sense that, um, uh, maybe like a sense of entitlement. Like I, I belong here just as much as anybody else. And so of course, like I'm coming from that disadvantage and the other person isn't. And so I never realized that that was the case. And so it, it, it's a, sort of an indirect thing, but it definitely has a very real impact. Yeah. Um, the session about in the session about microaggressions, we heard a lot about, um, in particular from a man. I forget his last name, but his first name was Kenjis, I think. Um, yes. About sort of the accumulated, um, what he called battle fatigue, that results, and he had a particular lens on Black women scientists, I think, or Black women PhDs. And the impact of microaggression upon their well-being. And microaggression, you know, that word is very well um, suited to the phenomenon because it's not something that you can just point your finger to, like you're saying, like a joke where you could say, you could point your finger to it and say, that is racist. What you're saying is racist. Yeah. Instead, yeah. it's a thousand little paper cuts where, and also, especially if you're surrounded by whiteness all the time, white people are not used to owning <laughs> Their own race, it feels invisible to them. And so to be asked to be thoughtful about that is often something that white folks find um, really unpleasant. And so they respond like disproportionately in an ugly fashion. And right. we, I guess we we're talking a lot about that in inclusive astronomy, but that is a hell of a thing to have to deal with <laughs> on oh, top yeah. <laughs> of already being a graduate student, um, which is a really tough path to walk. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for kind of summing up that part of inclusive Astro. So what about it kind of did anything, um, stay with you when you left related to your own self-care? So, um, when I was at the conference, um, it's funny because there were all these rules that were put in place so that, you know, um, people who normally don't have a voice could speak at this conference mm -hmm. in particular. And I felt bad because I kept like asking questions and raising my hand and like speaking out a lot. And I was like, man, I should really share the air. Share the air was one of the rules. Um, and then I realized, no, wait a minute. Like these rules were put in place for people like me, yeah. but it was so, it was so hard for me to own that, um, axis of, non-privilege, I guess. Like it was, it was really hard for me to sort of realize that. And, and that's where that happened. And when I came back, unfortunately, like I had felt really connected and really empowered yeah. by this conference. Wow. And then I came home and like to a sea of like, even, even if there are people like working on equity, it's just, you feel disconnected from, like, I feel disconnected really from my community in a way that I haven't felt in a very long time, just because I haven't had to think about the disadvantages that I have because of my race. Um, and so 
I just was like, after the conference, I actually came home and, um, I, I came up to work that week, the whole week after the conference, only for specific meetings that I had scheduled. And then I would go right back home because I just could not emotionally handle all of these difficult realizations that I had to make. Um, and I was literally like, it was, it's really hard. I, I know this podcast is about self-care and I feel like I'm the worst example <laughs> at, at ever. So I'm really sorry, but today it's about um, Nicole, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, about, it's all about me today. So I actually came back and I felt awful. I felt sad. I felt disconnected. I felt, um, weak. I felt like I could not, I didn't have any energy to do anything. Yeah. And even like, um, my poor boyfriend who's so sweet, um, I would come home and like, he, I'm super talkative, normally very extroverted and he's not. So usually it's me like, you know, blah, 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 like talking about my day and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would just, he would come home and I would just, I just didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just like, couldn't, um, I really felt like my identity had been completely shaken up. I felt like my, my normal self, I'm a very positive person. I'm a very like talkative and friendly person. Mm -hmm. And I just could not bring myself to feel that way. Um, and it's funny because we, we actually went to see inside out, which came out recently. I don't know if you've seen it, Sarah, <laughs> but it's a, it's a really a great movie, but I was crying the entire time because it was like, um, it's about these little people who live in the protagonist's brain mm -hmm. who control her emotions. And then like all these things go wrong and the protagonist doesn't feel like herself. And I was like, Oh my God, that's totally how I feel right now. Wow. Like something is wrong. <laughs> and I just cannot be my normal happy self. And it took me a week to dig myself out of that hole. And, um, really the only thing is going to sound really weird, but the only thing that made me feel more like myself was, um, listening to Beyonce. I listened to a lot of Beyonce songs <laughs> and I listened to a couple of, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi's feminist speeches. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel empowered. It made me feel, um, like, I could really take on the world and I not even take on the world. Just like I had enough energy to be my own personality again. Yeah. And I think the hardest part about that week after the conference was that, um, I felt this horrible way and I just couldn't bring myself and I didn't know how to get back to myself. Mm. And it felt like I was going to feel that way forever. It felt like it's kind of like when you get sick and you can't remember ever being healthy before. Yes. <laughs> um, like every time I have a cold that happens to me and it was kind of like that where like, I just felt it was never going to go away. And then of course, like after like five days of this, I started to come out of it and then I like, Oh, I feel like myself again. And since then, like maybe I'll have one day where I feel that way. And I just have to tell myself like, okay, this is not forever. At least at the very least I know that Yes. as far as like getting myself out and feeling like myself again, I'm still working on that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, um, I mean, it sounds like you kind of stumbled on a whole response that you weren't expecting after inclusive astronomy that sort of opened up a new door about how you were going to move forward. Yeah. Um, I was really excited to hear <laughs> that you're uh, a Chimamanda fan like me. <laughs> um, I also... Um, love, I guess I'll, when I first, uh, heard you make that comment, which is that you kind of came out of a, 
of a place. It's not like a, I mean, I'm going to use the word dark, but it almost was like a place that was kind of in shadow, you know, like the sun just had to move and then you would be back and receiving the sunlight. But, um, when a person is in a place like that, it's almost just a matter of time. You have to kind of wait for yourself to kind of metabolize the new ideas. And while you're doing that, it's when self-care feels the most important. And it seems like you, I mean, I know you said, oh, (laughs) I don't know if this was self-care or not. I know this is a podcast about self-care. Self-care is, first of all, rest when you feel overwhelmed and when you're going through something like that. So already that's like an amazing testament to self-care. But then um, to be able to identify in particular voices that would help the sun kind of come back um, (laughs) onto your face and then you could kind of get up out of the shadows. I feel the same way about Chimamanda Adichie and about Beyonce. So uh, let's transition to like in particular, which Beyonce songs do you have particular songs that you find just make Nicole get up and start (laughs) kicking ass? This is going to turn into a long story. So I'm going to, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited. Um, Okay. (laughs) I see you're putting, putting your glasses on. I know I'm putting my glasses on. I need to see you for this. (laughs) So, okay. Um, this whole like Beyonce slash Shimamanda Ngozi thing was not a coincidence. So I, I don't know why I was flawless. I was listening to flawless. (laughs) <laughs> I know. And so I hadn't really listened to the words before and um I don't have I don't listen to the radio ever, so I'm always behind on like what's the popular music now? Like Flawless was popular like a year ago or something. Yeah. And I'm only now like <laughs> starting to listen to these songs, right? So I put it on and then I noticed the the speech and I was like, Whoa, like this is a really powerful thing. Let me look it up. And um before I go into that, I just wanna go into like how this music in particular, just like before the speech um, comes out in that song, the music, like, so I'm, I'm going to go into a little story about that. So in Miami, Miami is one of the biggest hip hop centers of the country. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Atlanta, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, when I was in high school, like I used to listen to a lot of like punk rock mm-hmm. and we had to leave like for maybe go out an hour outside of Miami to be able to go see those bands because everything in Miami was either Spanish music or hip hop. And so I grew up a, or with a lot of hip hop and, um, and I'm a dancer, I'm a salsa dancer. Um, and I, uh, Miami is very much about going out and going to clubs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that kind of dancing is, has always made me feel really powerful. Um, and I think it has to do with like the idea of like feeling beautiful and sexy. And that's kind of a weird thing because, you know, there's this quote that I love and it's like, everything is about sex except for sex. Mm -hmm. Sex is about power. And I totally resonate with that because when I, when I have gone out to clubs like in Miami or even here in Atlanta, um, I, I dance like, uh, this like pop or hip hop style in a way that makes me feel sexy. And that actually makes me feel powerful. Like it has nothing to do with like other people and it has nothing to do, um, with anything except for the way that I feel like in my body. And, um, and so that's why I love Beyonce so much. It's because like her music is just like, just the music itself. It makes you want to dance. It's like the, the, the kind of rhythms and beats that go into the music. Um, and so that alone is like one aspect of it. And then of course I heard these words by Chimamanda Ngozi and I was like, Oh, let me listen to this speech and it's 30 minutes of the most 
amazing feminist thoughts. I mean, she's obviously thought about this a lot and she just touches on so many points. And I was like in my apartment by myself, like in my underwear, like not, I didn't even bother to get dressed yeah. like that whole week. Um, and so I was listening to it, like walking around in my apartment, just like snapping every single, <laughs> like every two minutes, every time she said something that I, that resonated with me. And so that just was like, wow, I'm not the only one. Like I felt connected to somebody, um, who had also experienced these things. Um, and I think that's what helped me get out of this hole is just to feel connected again. Cause, um, after that inclusive astronomy and coming back here and just being so isolated and I don't have any, um, Hispanic friends here. I'm not in my own community. And, um, I, I laugh about this, but you know, when I go home to Miami for Christmas or whatever, when I'm in my family, in my community, I am the loud one. I am the aggressive <laughs> one, the opinionated one, but here, especially in my department, I am not that person. Um, at least not to the extent to the extent that I can be, I think maybe if people perceive that they're like, they just don't know how much I am whitewashing my identity day in and day out, mm. you know? Um, so I really lower my voice <laughs> and I speak in a certain way that I just don't do when I'm in my community. Right. Gosh. Um, and so that feeling of disconnects, like, you know, listening to Beyonce and to this uh, feminist speech, like made me feel a connection that, um, I'm not the only one here and I can, I can really be empowered by those other voices yeah. who are with me, you know? Yeah. That's amazingly put. I feel like Beyonce embodies so many of the ideals that you're speaking <laughs> to because, um, like Beyonce herself, she has, I guess I, I, I say that she is so specific like about her messages and she has been so much about empowerment for so long, like since the destiny's child days, but like, yeah. but it feels like recent Beyonce is so tired of people not getting that. I should say like white people not getting that, that <laughs> at the VMAs, you know, she just performed in front of that lit up sign that said <laughs> feminist and all of her songs, yeah. like I'm thinking about on the most recent Beyonce album, there's songs about embracing motherhood, like Blue, um, but there's also songs like Partition, which are like, this is my sexuality, and I'm not going to be apologetic for it. And there's something um, about Beyonce that, like in academic feminism in particular, I was following uh, a conference where Janet Mock was present and also um, Bell Hooks, so just amazing wow. black feminist scholarship. And there was a discussion about Beyonce and whether Beyonce was contributing to feminism or detracting from feminism. And there's something about Beyonce that's so unapologetic. She does not take on that academic voice. Like when you hear Beyonce talk, right. she's got that Southern accent. Beyonce is from yeah. Houston. Beyonce does not apologize for Beyonce. And yet, like Janet, <laughs> like Janet Mock says, Beyonce is on purpose. Everything she does is because she wants to do it that way. Yeah. And there's something about even bearing witness to that, that makes me too, even as a white woman, feel um, full of joy uh, watching yeah. her. <laughs> so I feel the same way. And about Shimamanda especially, I feel like, um, first of all, did you, have you read any of her fiction? 
The Chamber Mondo's Fiction. No. I actually, I listened to that speech. I listened to her other, like, TED Talk uh-huh. um, about the single story, which is also amazing. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to, like, eat up everything that she's ever done. Yeah. I have not had a chance <laughs> to do that yet, but I really, really want to. <laughs> it just fell into a Chima Mondo hole. And especially, if, I mean, where I was just, I read, like, all of her fiction. It was just in the past month. But if you, if you start with Americana... Um, which is also just an, it's an amazing work of fiction and she's a, a, she's a genius, um, in terms of her (laughs) craft, but also the story about code switching, basically like you're talking about. In fact, Americana opens with Ifamelu, who's at Princeton, you know, who's the scholar at Princeton, um, going, taking the train to somewhere where she can get her hair done. And she's describing being in the salon with these other women, um, and even the um, negotiate the cultural negotiation that's taking place there because she's Nigerian and the other women are not Nigerian, and um, and so and then she gets on the train and goes right back. So it's kind of an amazing opening of the experience of having to have a foot in both worlds. Oh yeah, it's amazing, <laughs> and also um, that movie that that book's being made into a movie where Lupita Nyong'o mm-hmm. is producing it and starring in it. I'm getting goosebumps oh, even what? saying that. <laughs> um, Lupita Nyong'o, just another just a beacon of joy to yeah. to us lessers in the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think you should start with Americana, but of course, like her other books too are just. And she has written some, this like seminal work of fiction about just Nigerian history. Uh, anyway, just thinking about her, she also just, I mean, like you were saying, um, about presentation, almost feeling not like a weapon, but like a tool, like your own, like, uh, feminine, in this case, like femme presentation, feeling Mm -hmm. like an empowering tool. Chimamanda had a feature in Vogue, um, where she was posting her outfits every day. And she was looking so good every day. Like I was just, this was March of this year. And I just, she not only embodies all of these incredible ideas about scholarship and like you were saying, it's not only it's scholarship that like has these resounding waves. Like you see it in Beyonce's music too. She also just looks so comfortable in her own skin. She looks so cool. And I just, so looking at pictures of her makes me want to get up and, and do something <laughs> that day. I feel the same way. And anyway, I'm very, um, I'm very moved by that story about Chimamanda and Beyonce. Oh, I wish that they could well, know the impact. <laughs> Maybe they do. It was funny that you mentioned her like Vogue thing. I actually haven't taken a look at that, but, um, I, I was thinking to like this whole like pre- presentation, like femininity and stuff. Um, in Miami, uh, Miami is, I love Miami. I, I think it's, it's really my home, but I have to admit that like, it's a very superficial city where people like worry a lot about what they look. And so this is where, this is where I'm coming from, where, you know, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to the mall, run your errands without having your lady face on and you're mm. having your hair done mm. and stuff. And, um, I think that, um, people sort of see that as anti-feminist a lot. Mm-hmm. And I want to argue that it's not. And the reason that it, I, I don't think it is, uh, is that that sort of taught me like the very first thing that you do when you get up in the morning, you, you get up, you take a shower, you put your makeup on, you do your hair, you put on your outfit that you feel comfortable in. And that's the very first thing you, you do. And then you feel like, okay, now I can take on my day. Now I can go run my errands. Cause unfortunately, like, I mean, if you live in Miami and you go to the mall, you go anywhere 
and you don't have that like presentation on, um, you're just going to feel bad because everybody else is going to be <laughs> like so dressed up it's and nice looking and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I come from that. And so I think that, um, people sort of see it as like, oh, that's bad because you should, you know, you should uh, feel comfortable in your own skin and like, you should, um, you know, you shouldn't wear makeup because whatever. But I honestly, like I, I do this every day. It's a ritual yeah. that I do every day. And I think that putting your needs, like yourself, your personal care in the morning as the very first thing that you do is so feminist. It's like I, it's the one, one of the only selfish things that I do for myself. <laughs> like I, I'm constantly like taking care of people. I'm constantly worrying about what other people are feeling and, mm. and how they're doing. Um, I have this mentoring program here and I'm like, always thinking about like these students and like whether they're finding housing and whether, you know, they're doing okay in their classes. Are they too stressed out? I like, I think about that a lot and I think about just other people a lot. And this is the one moment in my day where I don't think about anybody else but myself. Yeah. And, um, I, when I put my makeup on and when I put my like outfit on that I thought about, um, I feel powerful and I feel like I can do all those other things. And the funny thing in science is that I felt like, you know, people have sort of judged that and like they look at you and, you know, you're putting yourself together and they sort of assume like, oh, well, you care so much about your appearance. You might, you must not have mm. space in your brain for like anything else. And so you're sort of not taking it seriously or like you don't take your, you can't possibly take your science seriously. And people are completely shocked when I tell them, you know, that I'm a scientist and stuff because of the way that I look. And I actually think it's, it's quite the opposite because if I feel my, like myself and I feel like the best version of myself at the beginning of the day that I can take on my science. I can take on all of those things that I have to do. And, and I think that this is a really powerful statement because it, it is only about me in that moment. Yeah. Um, it's not about anybody else. And so, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm like nodding. <laughs> um, yeah, that's absolutely extremely well put. Like it almost feels like you're putting on your armor, you know, yeah. it's not only armor cause that implies kind of Mm, like equipping yourself to kind of go out and do battle that day, like whatever battle is for you, whatever you're going to accomplish that day. It's not only armor. It's almost like you light the fire, you know, inside yourself. Like this is my ritual to remind myself that I'm starting another day. I'm going to look great while I'm doing it. You know, <laughs> I really, and I think that the, the policing of that is something I've definitely felt too, uh, obviously at my own, like, access, um, with my own privileges, it's different, but I feel within astronomy that especially at conferences and stuff, there is kind of a feeling that you can't perform femme like too much, or people are going to feel that, that you're not serious. And it is exactly what you're saying. Like there's nothing more serious than mindfully setting aside time to start the fire within yourself every morning. That's yeah. a very serious undertaking. And, the dismissal of makeup and of the feminine presentation as what's frivolous um, right. is just so short-sighted. And I feel like, actually, I get it from women, too. I mean, in this yeah. case, it would be, like, a lot of white women um, kind of wondering why you've done that. And it's just foolish. Like, that's very foolish. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've gotten a lot of comments um, that are meant to be, like, 
compliments, mm-hmm. but that are actually like kind of microaggressiony, yeah. like about how like oh well you're you're a scientist and oh and but you look so good too. Like how is that possible? Oh my and god, like, mm-hmm. I feel <laughs> that's like not a that's compliment. Not, and a, yeah. Those are not well. It's not a compliment, and it's definitely not like mutually exclusive too, right? Yeah. Um, Ugh. And I, I get, you know, people thinking that I do it for other people as well. Mm-hmm. And that's totally not what it is. And people don't believe me, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you just wear makeup because you want other people to to notice that. And I'm like, no, no, actually, it's a very internal and personal thing. Yeah. Like I, um, you know, my boyfriend who's really sweet and like he, he tells me all the time he loves the way that I look with makeup or without. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, good for you. I know. <laughs> I love that. Great. That's actually a great thing. But that's like his feelings or other people's perception of me of how I look without makeup or whatever is not, they, that doesn't validate my feelings or my existence or my opinions on that. Like yeah. it's not actually going to affect me at all. Um, and, and the way that I put myself together. So it's, it really is a personal yeah. thing that I do for me and for the way that it makes me feel. I'm already so excited because there's a plan to do a podcast episode that's just kind of a round table about our favorite makeup products and um, makeup as self-care. And it sounds like you already have really mastered that. <laughs> I'm that way too. And I, I definitely have tweeted before back and forth with Chanda uh, about Sephora, like proximity to Sephora as like a feature of finding a place to work. because um I am the same way I would say I I don't know that I half the time I think I'm um using makeup as um as a tool just for myself and I think the other half of the time I'm doing it because I see other women looking so good I'm almost doing it for other women but not as like an aggressive gesture I hate how our our culture posits that you would only want to look good quote unquote for other women because you there's some like hierarchy or something and it's it's confrontational and I don't feel that way at all I want to feel like I'm part of a of a community of women and I think that when I see other women looking so good I just want to be like her you know or I want to and I'm giving other women compliments all the time on how they look because they just look so great and they look so powerful. And, mm-hmm. um, so I guess I, I feel really similarly. So I'm sure if I saw you on the street, I would be like, you're looking so good or whatever. <laughs> just like, stop. I'm, I'm big into, um, whenever I, I don't know, whenever I feel like I have the moment, uh, to say like, by the way, you're just looking great. Like keep doing you, you know? <laughs> and I want people to think that when they look at me too, like, She's looking good. Like, keep doing you, Sarah. You're doing great. <laughs> um, I'll say that right now. Yeah. Keep doing you, Sarah. <laughs> keep doing you, Sarah. Yeah, I had, um, anyway, that was, um, that was like really amazingly put. Thank you, Nicole. Um, so, uh, let's see. So I know you have somewhere to be in 15 minutes. Um, yes. why don't, um, in the last five minutes, mm, is there anything else you feel like you want to add? What would you have wanted to maybe say to younger Nicole? <laughs> um, if you could, if you could kind of see her today and you could only really say one or two things. So I guess, um, God, if I went back in time, I would quote mean girls and say, don't let the haters stop you from doing your thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> so true. 
I guess like <laughs> I know that sounds kind of weird but like a lot of the a lot of my imposter thoughts and a lot of the things that have really made me feel inadequate in this field are self feelings of self-doubt that originate from outside sources um going all the way back to like middle school when I was like you know one of the only girls in some of my science classes and stuff um I think I would just say like you know I would I would let myself know where I am right now yeah and like that doesn't mean that like I am on top of the world or anything but I have accomplished some things <laughs> like some I got huge this things. um I got like this NSF fellowship a couple of years ago. I got another fellowship uh, from the French government. And like I did a lot of things that I never really thought that I would be able to do because other people were telling me that I couldn't um, or that I shouldn't do them. I don't know. I would just go back and say like, okay, these are all the things that you're going to do. And that I feel like that would maybe empower me and like not doubt myself so much and try to slow myself down or, 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 you know, there are a lot of opportunities that I did miss out on because I didn't think that I could do them. And maybe I would go back and, and actually do those things if I knew, um, that I am unstoppable. Oh my God. And yeah. speaking of unstoppable, I just saw the newest, like always, <laughs> um, like a girl campaign thing. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that video. I haven't. I'm going to warn you. Okay. You will probably cry. Um, if you're anything we'll like link me. To it. We'll link to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like um, a, like asking girls who were so young, like um, what they've been told they couldn't do because they were a girl and they had to write them down in these boxes and then they got to like tear them down. And it just made me cry because I was like, Ugh. wow, I have heard these things myself my whole life and I've been telling myself those things too, like internalizing them. And I, the thing is like, I'm, if it weren't for those feelings and thoughts like I would be unstoppable and I have been pretty unstoppable just like yeah, already. With, a slower, with a slower velocity so maybe I would have more <laughs> momentum <laughs> you know if like I just removed those things and of course that's difficult because you're in an environment that's hostile and um that and around people who don't believe that you can do it so like I would go back and tell myself like you totally can and look at all the things you're going to accomplish oh. even if you just keep thinking the way that you're thinking. And if you stop and remove those thoughts, you could do so much more. You know? oh, that's amazing. I can't wait to watch this commercial. <laughs> watch this ad. Um, okay, Nicole, on that note, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was amazing. I already want to have you back for the things we did not get to. <laughs> I'll be around. Just let me know. <laughs> um, so keep being you, you're absolutely a gift to the field. Um, and where can people, um, find you? Do you have a website if folks are interested in you and your work? Yes. I've been working on a website for like 10 years mm -hmm. and I have a friend who's making it for me. So I don't have it up yet, but I do have a Twitter handle that I am now using mm -hmm. pretty frequently. Okay. And it's, uh, at jazz, like the music, uh, astronomy. So jazz T R O M. No. However you spell that. I don't know how to spell it right now because I can't. Uh, I can't J -Z -Z, like, it. And then it starts with an S. S-T-R-O-N. I, I, don't, think, I no? don't know if there is an S. I think it's just jazz and then tronomy. Oh, jazz tronomy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So we're going to link to that too. Uh, if you okay, want cool. Because to to <laughs> I can't spell right now. Um, so um, <laughs> if you've been listening to this podcast and you're more interested uh, in things that Nicole Cabrera um, has to say or is talking about, then you should follow her on Twitter. And look at her website if and when that is completed. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much, Nicole. And this thank has you been for having me. Self Care with Dr. Sarah.